I was going to talk about SiriKit. I know Pam doesn't like Apple stuff, but... I mean, what's the deal with SiriKit? There's also there's also some JavaScript drama of the week we can talk about. And wasn't there a Google thing this week, too? No. WWDC. DroidCon something? There's DroidCon Berlin. Oh. Uh, Pam, but since you're a consultant now, shouldn't you care about Apple? What if you get an Apple job? <laughs> I mean, I have. I've been doing some iOS stuff. Did she say she didn't care? <laughs> well, Len was I, ex- I said she. <laughs> I generally express non-fan person tendencies with regards to Apple things. Mm. I just try to pay attention to it as much as I do everything else and not especially so. Like, I'm not going to sit there and watch the keynote and stuff and take hours of my day to watch live streams of WBDC. I miss the keynote. I usually watch it live. Um but I was watching the uh, E3 press conference for, I think it was Microsoft's at that time. The same time slot as WWDC keynote. But I, I was following along on Mac Rumors Live. And I was pretty excited for somebody that uses an iPhone. But also, I was excited for the Mac stuff they were announcing. Although it also kind of tied into a lot of, like, you know, unlock your, your Mac with your watch. Uh, use Apple Pay with your phone on your Mac. There was a lot of like cross-product integration that I thought was kind of cool. And the Siri announcements were really neat. Uh, and they, they said the words deep learning at least twice during the, during the conference, talking about Siri and also about uh, photo organization. And the cool thing was the deep learning seemed to be happening all locally on the phone. That got me thinking maybe when they announce a new iPhone this year, they're going to have a like neural network processor. Because they in the past have like, made their own processors to do certain things better. Like the motion coprocessor. Good thing I'm on the every year plan. <laughs> what do you think about the file system? That's the only thing I actually read about. <laughs> I don't know anything about anything else. I heard about it and I kind of thought to myself, well, it'll probably be fine. Do you know enough to like explain the differences in the new file system? I do not. I read it when I woke up in the morning, so I don't remember much. <laughs> I'm on Pam's side with this stuff. I just wait till it comes out or somebody talks about it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know enough to articulate it. I've just heard uh, John Syracuse rant about how basically insecure uh, the file system currently is and how you, it's definitely possible to lose data. But I, I've never had a problem. <laughs> Maybe they just do stuff behind the scenes so you don't notice that you lose data? Or they just do some... <laughs> <laughs> I was reading some article about um, SD cards, like the micro SD cards, real tiny ones, that they have... They're so unreliable that there's like a little computer on the card that writes data in multiple locations and can figure out which ones are corrupt. So instead of like having reliable data storage, they just have a lot more data storage and they put a little computer on there to make it seem like it's reliably storing data. Those things are apparently really insecure security-wise too. I bet. Security-wise. Security-wise. They're insecure emotionally. I took a security training class. Well, it was secure coding class this week. Hmm. There wasn't any like security talk, but the people that attended were interested in security, so they were telling lots of stories. It was interesting. Was that through work or on your own? It was through work. It was like this person named Robert Secord. He has his Wiki- uh, his own Wikipedia page. He uh, came and gave a class. Had to use IntelliJ for two days because it was in Java. IntelliJ has really improved. None of you care because you'll never use an IDE. <laughs> but just let you know. I was trying to use Atom with Nuclei this week 
uh, for React Native stuff, but I just got frustrated that all my motions couldn't work the way I expected them to, and rage quit and went back Is to the Is Nucleod the, the Facebook editor? Yeah, I mean, it's basically just a extension on top of Atom, but okay. Yeah. You can do neat things with React Native, like preview um, preview all components. There's like a component registry you could search, and then when you install one, it just basically you basically just drag it, and it does like npm install dash save behind the scenes, and everything just like magically works. It seems pretty cool. What didn't you like about it? Just the commands, or like the keyboard I'm just used stuff? to all the the motions perfectly working. Yeah, I'm still like ramping up to getting my space max groove where my vim one used to be it's been almost a year i still love vim it's so great me too except i have really? an extra layer with <laughs> <Vim>. <laughs> yeah i never know what to say now the editor wars it's like i use emacs but i use emacs like vim which is what what space max brings to me so i don't know where i am i like if i had a pick if i, if I couldn't use vim on top of emacs i would use vim for sure does space max mean that you prefer spaces over tabs? No, it means yeah, you use your leader key a lot. <laughs> I was just kidding. <laughs> Wait, who really uses tabs anymore? So, like, you're talking about like, two weeks ago, there was a big Silicon Valley joke about spaces yes. versus tabs. Yes. What languages, like, actually use tabs these days? Golang, Golang's uh, convention is to use tabs uh, for, for width, for, for space width. Tab width of four. Uh, and, and hard tabs and not soft tabs. But when you write Go, you don't think about it at all because there's a tool called Go Format, which every time I save a file in Vim, it just runs it through Go Format and I don't have to think about it at all. So I, I, and I display my tabs and spaces in Go as the same. They look the same for four spaces or one tab in Vim. So I don't really think about it. I just hit save and then it all works out fine. Well, you could tell Vim to be two spaces and then it would look sane, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's a lot of indentation in Go for a lot of error handling. So I think four makes it easier to read. But yeah, you could set it to two and then it would, I guess, I guess it would look better. It would look, it would look good for me and then it wouldn't change it for anybody else. I guess that's a big concern is making, I don't want to change convention of the files I'm writing, but how I'm viewing them could be different. You ever hear that quote from Rob Pike? Hawaii, what do you say? And the reasoning. The key point here is our programmers are Googlers. They are not researchers. They're typically fairly young, fresh out of school, probably learn Java, maybe learn C or C++. What are you I, What are you reading? This is a quote. This is good, don't worry. <laughs> probably learn Python. They're not capable of understanding a brilliant language, but we want them to build good software. So the language that we gave them has to be easy for them to understand and easy to adopt. The reason I have that hand is I pasted it in Slack yesterday. <laughs> it sounds like people that criticize uh, Java. There's some quote like, Java makes uh, large teams of mediocre developers able to create stable mm. software. Java makes the world takes. <laughs> like Trenton. <laughs> there you go. That bridge is so weird. Yeah, there's a for anyone else, there's a bridge in Trenton that you see on the train when you go through Trenton. That says Trenton makes the world takes in like really big, like really big letters. Spit with the picture phrase. That's like such a passive aggressive welcome. So right before I came here, I told my coworker I was going to record the podcast. He's like, "Oh, I've been listening to the latest one. I was really surprised he listened to it." Uh, but he's like, 
you all need an intro, at least what the name of the podcast is. But I feel like, I don't know, what are your thoughts? <laughs> we should do we should do a user poll and see what people say. We should give the people what they want. Users don't know what they want. No, users don't know what they want, and this is a dictatorship, not a democracy. <laughs> <laughs> or I think for us it would be an oligarchy, because we're... Does that mean like no no head, there's like a group of... Yeah, I think so. That we are the people who have control of the organization. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of intro are you talking like, like, hi, my name's Justin, and I am come from... The suburbs of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Well, he said it could be a scale down as this is Turing. Welcome to Turing Incomplete or something. Welcome uh, to Turing Incomplete. I'm actually, I really the think number they, one podcast for, for random developers in Philadelphia. <laughs> and sometimes. Or, and those who used to be from Philadelphia. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I actually think that with the new format, I'm kind of curious. I just, I'm interested to hear you edit and see what you do. Yeah, we said format, but we haven't <laughs> actually done <laughs> the format. We talked about news, kind of, and we just kind of talked, which is no, awesome. Yeah, that completely, can, went, think, off, no, it completely no, went off the rails. Let's go back to the news. We can talk about the news. I pulled up all the stuff about the JavaScript drama if we want Before to talk about the JavaScript Before we get to the news, drama, anything else that went on last week that anybody wants to talk about? Just the what's up. What's up? What's up with you in the past so, week? So uh, well, I have some should big we news. first say what uh-huh. the new format is? All right. We talked People about it. Last week. Talked about it. Um, yeah, we talked about it. Last do you listen week, to our podcast? They'll so, figure it out. Not, not the latest. <laughs> one. Well, but I mean, so so I just got the email today that I'm a Google Developer Expert. Whoa! Oh, yeah, how does one do that? <laughs> so what does that mean? Um, it means that I get a special little badge on my avatars and stuff, and I go get like information from Google about things, and I also like can go talk about things. And stuff. It's really, there's, it's experts. Dot, wait, no, it's Google, developer.google.com slash experts, I believe. Um, just double checking that. Maybe that's it. But uh, anyway, yeah, so it's the experts program. Uh, I have a few friends who are experts and they were like, you should do this. And so I did. And I went through the interview process and I just got the news this morning that I'm in. So, well, it's the interview process. Awesome. Like. Oh yeah, congrats. Uh, you thank you. Um yeah, I mean it's anyone can click the the link on join the experts program uh, on the site. It's a uh, you submit an application and then if you get past that, you have a interview with uh someone from the experts program, so an expert in the same field as you, uh followed by an interview with a googler who's in that field. Does this lead up to you being hired by Google? No, no, I don't think so. I think it's it's actually very much more so that people not not working at Google can, you know, like Google can benefit from, you know, talking to people mm. in the community about things. Uh, it's actually almost even, uh, I don't, it's like, it's kind of like a beta group in a way. Like, it's a group of people who are like working on, working on things and interested in developing technologies and People at Google say who are working on Chrome can talk to the web experts and say, you know, hey, can you check out this thing that we shipped in Canary or whatever and tell us what you think. So that's kind of where where they're getting the the value from it. But yep, so I just got that news this morning, and it'll be more more extra official in the next coming weeks. 
That's awesome. What's up with you, Javon? Man, I've been playing with Terraform and S3, starting state in S3. S3 policies are really difficult to write. Well, no, they're not difficult. It's just a lot of work. You just allow star dot star and you're done. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> no, they they are uh, quite quite the pain. Yeah, I'm surprised there's not an easier way to uh, to handle that. I think that it is a like on a file system. If you open the permissions for a directory or file. In a GUI, you get like a bunch of check marks of like who can, who can read this, who can write this. Uh, there's like user group and whatever the other privileges. And there's like read, write, uh, execute. So you need a way to express that in on S3. I think there's solutions fairly good for that for that JSON blob, and it's pretty easy to like make sense of and parse if you have the right documentation. It's just that a lot of time you're like, well, I want this to be, you know, I want this to be fully accessible by this one user and nobody else. Or you want it to be, I want this bucket to be publicly accessible, read-only, and I want to be able to write to it with my user. And there's like the two common use cases, but it's fairly, they don't come out and say like, hey, this is the policy you need for that. Mm-hmm. They do give you uh, example policies, but it's not a... Yeah, it's not the ones you typically will use. But yeah, I think S three is meant to be a lower level thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you can abstract away those details without making it slightly insecure. You know, mm-hmm. like it's better be explicit. Like, hey, you're allowing the world to write to this. So are you sure you want to do that? I mean, they could create their own language, like Terraform. <laughs> it's about and HCL. Mm-hmm. I, the one problem I, f- I have with all the AWS stuff is that you're you're writing JSON or some other language in a web browser, and then you need like I guess this is true of any configuration language, but there's no real way to like test it without you know saving, getting an error, actually trying something through the uh, through the system. At least with HCL and Terraform, you can run a command locally, and it will error if something's wrong, give you a line number. But I feel like a lot of times when I upload a policy to Amazon, it's just like, hey, this is invalid. Okay, why? Mm-hmm. I have the same problem when I'm writing uh, like an Nginx config or an Apache config. Like, I don't know that it works until I actually test every single piece of it. I'm uh, horrible at not being patient, too. I'll like change four things. I'm like, oh, it works now. I don't know what four <laughs> yeah. <other> things <laughs> did it. Exactly. So I started working in React Native this week. Oh, How'd nice. that go? Uh, it's interesting. Uh, I wish we would have done React Native first. So our app at Maslow is meant to use on mobile, but we did website first because that's where our strengths were. But uh, we did it in React, partially thinking that we would be able to move to uh, React Mobile, uh, React Native. And I think we largely can, but there's just a lot of dependencies we have kind of with like Webpack and assuming that there's a web environment uh, and that's permeated even to our Redux layer. So there's a lot of this like assumptions I have to pull out to be able to reuse like our whole Redux store and, and models in our React Native app. What What is web, Webpack, if you don't mind me asking? That's a good question. I've seen that word a couple <laughs> times this week and I don't actually know what it is. It's Pam might be able to take this better than yeah. yes, Google please. Experts. <laughs> it's <Yes>. a... <laughs> 
There's it's, we have a Google expert that can explain Webpack to me. Oh God, don't don't do that. Um, but um, so Webpack is one of the latest and greatest things in the JavaScript build chain Bruja. Um, but basically, Webpack is a module loader. Uh, everything is a module. Everything it like you just you define everything and compose things together. So like you define a like you'll have your webpack file and you'll say, I want to take, you know, this thing and run it through these transformations and like put it together with this other thing. And that's pretty much what webpack does. There's also, I was on a show with, on JavaScript air about webpack. And so I'm trying to like, remember all these things that. So in the diagram on, on the side, there. they have like a bunch of coffee files, but the JS files, and then it goes to the little compactor or the webpack. And spits out a, J- a JavaScript file. So it's, it's like a rules engine inside there or something like that. Like do these things to this file and give me one application.js. Yeah. I have a hard time like knowing where the seams of Webpack are and where Babel begins and where the different plugins begins. Like, I think imports are coming from somewhere in that stack and I don't know like... <laughs> Like now it's magic. Like basically it'll resolve file names. Like I don't have to do like a whole path. I'll just be like import uh, like some file. And yeah. I mean, just well, magically gets found. Well, the import should be the, that sounds like ES6 syntax. So it sounds like you're using Babel. Yep. Yeah. So you're using Babel. So you probably define a, a project path or something and then... Babel knows about your environment, and so it can, you know, fill in where all these paths are loading from. Right. So those paths didn't, like, the relative paths aren't working the same way in, in React Native. That's one of the pains. Mm. I'm trying to, currently trying to figure out. And the other thing, even just starting this, and this might be a good topic for discussion. So this is still, like, in spike mode. I'm the only one working on it um, right now. But, sh- like, starting to share that, like, whole subdirectory from our Rails app uh, to React Native, I was like, I don't want to do Git submodules yet. Like, what is the least mobile <laughs> way to share this? Whoa. I did ln-s, and then somehow my imports didn't work at all. That was my, like, first stupid idea of how to share it. So I'm still kind of torn on the best way to share this without doing Git submodules and making everyone else use Git submodules when, like, really only used in one place so far. Wait, here's, wait, why? So it's in a separate repo? No, so I mean, it's it's like just a nested folder inside of our JavaScript app. So it's like so... JavaScript slash Redux slash modules, and that slash Redux directory is what I want to be shared in two different applications. Oh. This seems I mean, like the um, okay. I, I feel like a couple times in my career, people have said like, "Oh, let's use the same code across multiple platforms," whether it's like the server side and the front end or what you're what you're describing is like two different clients across two different platforms. I feel like it never works out. You end up with like one file shared and everything else is like custom for each platform. No, our Redux store is pretty big and there's no reason why it can't be shared. Like it's gonna be doing exactly the same thing. And that's part of the promise of like React Native. Like everything is just a fetch to an API. So I mean, there's no reason to rewrite that twice. And it's pretty big. It's just like, what is the best way to... We, we definitely want to show that code. Just what is the least horrible way to do it? And my two options, I guess, are like, get some modules or like, 
private npm <laughs> package private npm package doesn't sound so bad yeah if one wanted to learn about these things where should one start so i just started a new web app it's going to be a front end and back end thing where it's should an like what we we had a vote um and so, oh, so you're doing elixir at work yeah nice i have a Jealous. we already have something in production with it too which is just a tiny service for collecting stuff do you all have any recommendations wait what did you say that you're trying to do <laughs> i'm gonna be working like, in the front web. end you're just like you just want to make something on the internet like what like what do you mean i want to use all H- the latest and greatest technologies on the front end but why there was a there was a tweet <laughs> I forget who said it or, or where it was from, but it was essentially saying that um, maybe it was a blog post. I'll find it. That every time Twitter you, bootstrap, it is. No, no, oh, yeah, no. it was. It was every time you pick a like a new technology, you use one of your um, innovation tokens, and your team mm-hmm. only has so many innovation tokens. So if you like, if you use, let's say, I'm assuming your team is somewhat familiar with Elixir, Elixir now, so maybe that's not an innovation token, but like using a brand new framework that nobody on your team has used before and using a new deployment system, using a new whatever. Like if you use all the new things, your mm-hmm. team will drown in in innovation and not actually get anything done. <laughs> yeah. That was a good article. I'll, I'll find it and put it in the show notes. That's true. But I want to personally learn so I can advise my team. Yeah, I mean, I think if you wanted to try that, it would be Webpack and React. Okay, so Polymer and I do... is not a thing anymore? No. <laughs> I mean, sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, it is, but um, if I were you, I wouldn't do it. Okay. Um, I think your Google experts' uh, status is going to get revoked. <laughs> oh, no. don't, don't tell on me. That's not nice. It was called um, Choose Boring Technology. It was a blog post. Mm, oh, yeah. I think I've seen that one before. Uh, but no, I think you should learn Ember. That's also an option. If you're going to stay in Rails land, then pick well, Ember. I think Ember's pretty popular in Elixir land. Like I said, Rails land. What, what, is, uh, what does that mean? That means that like everyone doing Elixir used to do Ruby. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it's not. Yeah. Phoenix mm-hmm. is not it's Rails. Not the same, there's, a, there's a blog post it's for that, too. Same. No, it's not the same, but like, like there's also a lot of Ruby devs in Clojure, like. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'll drop you a, a link, Javon, that you might find useful. There's this uh, Survive JS book online that covers Webpack, okay. uh, like you know more than you ever want to know. But uh, but I would say check that out a little bit just to try and. I think Webpack is really like once you understand it conceptually, you uh, you know you'll do better with it. I think that's actually the hardest part of Webpack is understanding it conceptually. Why wouldn't you stay in Closure Script? I actually saw at MoonConf. I saw a Closure Script. That's true. Uh, I thought Javon, you were going to pretty well. That's yeah, uh, Closure Script that would be and, an innovation uh, token. and React. That would be like five innovation tokens. Really? But you were already doing Oh, uh, some... for the rest of your team, though, I think you talked about it. Yeah. Um... People are very, uh, not my team, but people in general are very skittish about closure. Mm-hmm. They don't need to be, though. It's such an awesome language. Maybe I'll write something and do a demo. Show, show it off. Yeah, I had like a closure week. We were reading the closure chapter, chapter of seven languages in seven weeks for book club. And then I also sat through that closure script workshop. 
and I was really interested, but I think it's like third on my stack. Like first is just like keep getting better at React Native and React. Second would be Elm and then Closure Scripts coming in at third of my personal stack of technologies. But if I knew it, I would definitely use it. It seems really cool. How do you I like the how... book uh, Seven Languages in Seven Weeks? I read it a while ago. Uh, I liked it at first. The first one, the second one. There's uh, also seven more languages in seven weeks that I have not read. But seven languages in seven weeks, I thought started out strong. And then later chapters, I don't know, like there'd be like, here's day one. Let's just go over standard lib. This is how to do reduce enclosure. This is how to do map enclosure. It's kind of like, well, I assumed it has those things. And then there would just be like a one paragraph thing like, oh, yeah, uh, closure also has like uh, atoms. Like that's like. I just wish they spent more time on parts that are just fundamentally different uh, mentalities and languages and less on syntax. But it it's is a good... It's hard to give a good overview of language when you're doing seven in a single book. You know? I like yep. I like the... Uh, I like the writing style, though, of showing how mostly like in a REPL you play with a language and learn what it can and can't do. So it's very similar to how I would like download a language and start playing with it while reading documentation. Yeah. I wasn't, I mean, I guess it's probably better. You're probably right. Like if you are following along in, a, in the REPL, it's probably better, but just reading it, like it, it was less engaging if I wasn't in the REPL. But yeah, if he didn't spend the time to go over standard library, then you just literally wouldn't be able to write anything. <laughs> Justin, did you have any uh, new things to talk about? Not really. I wanted to ask, um, I had to submit some proposals for some conferences. Uh, I was curious if any of you have ever had to submit a proposal for a conference where you're already asked to speak on a certain subject, where you don't actually have a talk prepared yet. Wait, wait, why do you have to submit then? Don't they just put you on the website? Let me, let me back up for a second. I usually create a talk by having a bunch of ideas, putting them randomly in a text file, and then at some point in the future saying, hey, this could be a talk, and then compiling it into actually slides and practicing what I'm going to say in front of people. But usually that comes from a kind of natural, compulsive, oh, I think this would be fun to talk about, or I am passionate about this right now. But I've never had to work backwards from, hey, speak on this topic and make a presentation about it. Have any of you ever had to create a presentation going from, yeah? Yeah. Is, is that any different from your usual preparation, or do you have any tips? Mm-hmm. How would I make it not? Like, I'm tempted to ask about the topic and then just, like, workshop your topic. <laughs> well, yeah, I think the person right is trusting you, right? Like, Yeah, yeah. It's trusting well, you. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, I think it's like you write, like, a lot of talks. is like you, you work, you have a topic, you have a time slot, and you think about, like, what, like, what do you want people to leave the session remembering? And then, like, work backwards from there based on, like, how you can use the time. So one of the times that this happened to me uh, that I volunteered myself for this situation uh, was I was like, oh, great, I want to speak at this event. And then it turned out to be a, like, two-hour session. (laughs) And I was like, holy shit, how am I going to, like, what am I going to do in two hours? So I worked backwards. I added, like, a hands-on activity and, like... I worked backwards to, you know, what do I want people to learn? And then people loved the session and it was great. And I interrupted Jermon. Jermon, what were you saying? Uh, I think I just said the person trusts you. So to pick something that you feel that's uh, valuable to the community because you're in that space. Oh, well, I guess I I thought 
well, Javon, or Justin, I thought you were saying that you were asked to speak on a particular topic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's not open-ended. But this open-ended. topic is like a high-level thing, right? And then you pick something. Or you, did they already pick Or is the, it more granular? Well, I guess I guess the, the... Is it like talk about Ruby or is it like talk about a specific thing? It's for work. It's for talk about a product. Oh, okay. Um, oh, that's also hard because you don't want to shill. Yeah, yeah, it's another... So think about being interesting. Another thin like line, Like what yeah. people, like think about what you want people to learn. And I think that that'll help you get something good. I'd totally be willing to help you offline if you buy me some gelato. Uh, if you drive to Westchester, I would love to. All right. Aww. Anyway, before we make Len mad by talking about food, um, <laughs> do we, do we want to talk about any news or do we have any listener questions or do we want to start with picks? So you implied some JavaScript drama. I've had this ready the... to talk about for like a while. <laughs> yeah. So what's this, what's this JavaScript drama? So the drama of the week is that um, PPK, who is Peter Paul Coke or Coke. Anyway, um, I always think of PPK as post-punk kitchen. But anyway, apparently <laughs> this person is a well-known person. They have like 22,000 followers on Twitter. They uh, – people – they so, so PPK goes to a conference and has a talk and says – uh, has a slide that end up, ends up on Twitter that's real developers don't use tools. Oh, that one, yeah. I, the internet I, then proceeded to lose its shit. <laughs> yeah, that was a... So, uh, yeah. If you, oh, if you can't go without tools, then you're not a web developer. Yeah, it's one of those what does things, it even mean? It, it's one of those things that was like a <laughs> nice, probably idea in their head when they first thought it would be good to say, and then yeah, like, saying it out loud a, and thinking about it, like yeah, I think it's a shitty slide. Like I think it's one of these things <laughs> in the context of the talk, it might make sense, and it's obviously also meant to be provocative. So I mean, it my, worked. My favorite response There's like multiple was, levels. That's terrible. My favorite response yeah. was Jen Schiffer saying <laughs> that uh, something about uh, coding without tools is like building a shitty trench with a spoon. <laughs> Yeah, or um, I also like this one from Phil Nash, which as a real developer, I not only hand code all my own CSS, I also hand minify and hand gzip it as well. <laughs> um, you because, you know, that, you're not a real developer. If you, want, if you can't do that, then you're not a real developer. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, that's basically kind of, I mean, some of the internet consensus of, like some people are, you know, oh, I totally agree with this. You should be able to code without tools. But like, like coding without, like, I think it's one of these things. It's like, if you take that to its next logical conclusion, like, you literally can't code without any tools. You know what's good? Like, unless you're using physics. <laughs> like, you know what's yeah, you're good? Just, like, is scraping a wire together to make bits or something. Syntax, <laughs> yeah. syntax highlighting is pretty good. Oh, yeah. Syntax, syntax checking is even better. Sweet. Yeah. You know, some linting, people don't use syntax. Linting highlighting. is pretty cool. I'm Rob Pike is a crazy person. <laughs> is this a particular person who doesn't use syntax highlighting? The creator of Go and some other stuff also doesn't use syntax lighting, I believe. Yeah, I don't, your your brain is very good at separating things based on how they look, like colors. Uh, and for that reason, I believe syntax highlighting is very helpful in being able to tell what is different about different parts of a source file. So I, I mean, I feel like I might have said this on the podcast before, but so I, in a past life, was studying to be a musician, and they, we have the saying about, you know, people who write, like, so an accidental in music is when 
you change you well you maybe you change the key, but you have an accidental, mm-hmm. so you need to know that something's sharp or flat or uh, natural or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, people who write in uh, or people who write in key changes so that they don't mess it up. There's kind of there was this thing that I learned early on, which was oh, what do you call it? musicians who write in their accidentals? And it's employed uh, <laughs> because. If you, you know, if people, like, if you don't write in your accidentals after a key change and then you, you know, you mess it up, then you messed up. Whereas if you just suck it up and write it in, then you do better. It's like these things. Like, I always think, like, there's no prizes for, like, taking the hard route. Like, no one's going to, like, be like, no, you are the one true developer because you, you know, code in Notepad uh, and don't use any <laughs> syntax highlighting. Like, no one awards things for that. I used to code in Notepad. Notepad++ or Notepad? Notepad.exe when I was writing batch scripts for Windows servers. You didn't even have Notepad++? I didn't know that thing existed. Uh, yeah, Notepad++ was a lifesaver when I was learning to... I was learning to program and I was using a... a, a Windows machine at the time. I did eventually use Notepad++ when I was writing some PHP at that same job. <laughs> yeah, so that was the news from that. Other news. Uh, HashiConf Europe was this week. I believe it's over now. Yes, it is. Uh, nothing major. We we acquired a company called Vectra which is uh, composed of Evan Phoenix, who's really big in the Ruby community, uh, Jessica Suttles, and one other person who's, I don't remember her name, uh, but she's not in uh, programming, so I'm allowed. <laughs> uh, but that was pretty exciting. Uh, and are, are you talking about the other person in the company? And then um, Jervon, Terraform import is coming. Oh, this Terraform import, too. It imports resources. So if you already have an AWS instance or security group or whatever, you can do Terraform import some magic commands, and it will put that thing in your state file. Nice. Yeah. That's good. Will uh, will that only be for enterprise? No, that is part of Terraform core. Okay. That'll be, I believe, part of 0.7, which is coming out soon. There's a bug, I think. I think it was just merged like earlier this week or late last week. The bug was merged? No, no, no. The, the fix for the bug. Oh. <laughs> uh, something with like oh, security one. groups and ABS volumes. Mm. Um, Glad it's fixed. What other news? Oh, I had a barbecue. None of you showed up. That was cool. Bad big either. So what? Oh, I, yeah, yeah, Pam and Javon both separately. Either, Pam. I may have texted Javon to ask if he was going. <laughs> I did plus one year, and, though. I said, you should go because Justin's a great host. <laughs> yeah, I had a, I mean, I had some, my sister-in-law was in town and it's, everything was going on and it was just, it was just too much. It's okay. So I'm mostly mad that Len didn't come. Yeah, okay. I wasn't invited. What are you talking about? <laughs> That is true. I, I did not get an invite. Next next year, I'll mail one to Seattle. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was an interesting cascading thing. Like, like one person I know said they weren't going to go anymore, and then it just turned into a snowball. 
Hmm. It's okay. We had more leftovers. I bought uh, so I bought veggie burgers, and then you know, I brought I brought I, them home, and I was so proud of myself for buying veggie burgers. And oh. my my partner goes, "Hey, are those vegan burgers?" And I was oh, like, "Of course they are. Check. Why would why would somebody make veggie burgers and not be vegan?" She's like, "They, they usually totally have egg in them." Do. So then I looked, and they had eggs. So then she went out and got uh, Boca burgers, which are actually vegan. <laughs> Um, I, uh, and that, that wasn't just for you, Pam, don't worry. Um, okay. I mean, I was going to say, luckily they survive in the freezer for next they year. They do. Well, so. I've been eating them. We've been eating them this week. Um, <laughs> okay, we had, so they we had, ones or the other ones? The, the regular veggie ones. I haven't tried the vegan ones yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was like moon, no, sunshine farm. Morning star. Morning star. That's what it was. Morning yeah, star. Yeah, morning farm. star. They do make some vegan ones, but most of those aren't vegan. Yeah, they had a, uh, these are not vegan ones. They were just veggie burgers. Uh, they had a garden vegetable one and a mediterranean chickpea one and the mediterranean chickpea one is so good there's a burger chain called elevation burger which has a half the guilt burger which is a meat patty and a veggie patty on a burger uh so i ate two of those this week uh and a meat patty plus the the mediterranean chickpea one was really good like uh it tastes like fried hummus essentially I don't know what flavor the Boca burgers are. I think they're like black bean or something. So yeah, if you even if you're not a vegetarian, you should try a veggie burger on top of a regular burger patty. It's pretty good. That's a lot of flavor. I tried to convince a friend of that this week, and he was like, no. But he uh, he's pretty unadventurous when it comes to food. I still haven't convinced him that onions are good. So finishing the news, Justin has a friend that doesn't like onions. Yes, put that in the show notes. I will put his phone number. Please call him and... So y'all ready for picks? I'm ready. So uh, I'm going to pick, because uh, I think this is an interesting way to look into AWS Lambda, which is on-demand computation, uh, or at least I think that's how they would word it. Um, but so there's this tutorial on creating an AWS Lambda function for a custom skill for Alexa. So Ooh, you might be wait, into this, Justin. Awesome. Yeah, and then the Node.js Alexa skills kit samples, which are... They're nice because they're they're really easy to read and see how you might build an Alexa skill. Uh, Alexa being the Amazon Echo thing. So that's my pick for the week because I think it's cool. I think you'll like it, Justin, as cool. well. In addition to everyone else. <laughs> I ordered a AWS Internet of Things button that I'm also excited to play around with. But it was pretty backwards. So I'm not going to get it until August something. Okay. Mm. Can't you just hack the Amazon Prime you buttons could, for that? We have one, but I don't. I don't actually know how to do that, and I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get bored and do that one day. You think you're deploying, and then you accidentally order some laundry detergent. <laughs> we have a we have a bounty button and a Amazon Basics button, which I'm pretty sure orders baby wipes, but we don't like the baby wipes. <laughs> they feel sticky. Uh, so my pick are the MoonComp videos that are trickling out. Um, I think. <gasps> I went to MoonCon since the you last time. You just remind me. I actually have y'all. another pick too. <laughs> can I? Was, I can go yeah, after go you though. Okay, I'm, I'm I'm pretty much done. Uh, MoonConf was a great conference in parallel of LambdaConf Finn Boulder, and the video production quality uh, was actually amazing. They were it was filmed in a theater that was already set up for multiple camera angles, and the videos are are coming online now. So that's it. I should have went. So well. Are either of you going to pick Katie Conf? <laughs> no, I, I really wanted that to be real. <laughs> so Katie Conf 
This actually, this could have gone in our, our news. We'll, we'll work on beefing out our plans to talk about news. But Katie Kampf, um is a one-day dual-track community-run conference uh, held in Catherine in Catherine, held, held at the Catherine Hotel in Catherine, Northern Territory, um, on June 31st, 2016. Um, but there is no June 31st, 2016. I didn't realize so, that until KF pointed it out. Yeah, and so people are, are sad. But it's, it's all speakers. It's all these... Uh, if you go to the site, it's katieconf.xyz, and uh, there's a bunch of uh, there's the K and the T track, <laughs> the Katie track, um, <laughs> and uh, all these uh, great you know speakers who happen to be named Kate or Katie or Catherine um, or Caitlin, uh, all links to some videos of their talks, uh, so you can can check them out. Uh, and basically, it's a joke about how like when you look at tech conferences there's a lot of tech conferences that have just like a ton of people named steve (laughs) and uh you know maybe diversify your conference a little bit so it's not just people named steve Uh, so kitty comp is a nice joke so some people are just really good at making up funny stuff yeah they did a good job and i think i love that people were like like partially tricked by it I also like their diversity statement. It says, KatieConf is an inclusive conference. We accept speakers whose name is derived from the root Catherine and starts with a C or a K. <laughs> so you can speak at KatieConf if your name is derived from Catherine. All right. I guess I'll go. Uh, my music pick is a song called Cinnamon. Or Cinnamon. Cinnamon? Not Cinnamon. Not Cinnamon. My Nina Simone. And I was surprised I haven't picked this. Yeah, uh, it's a CI tool called Drone. Uh, Justin has talked about it before. Um, it's I. Oh, we've been we've been using it at work. It's I for the price. Free. Uh, free. And they're uh, they're rewriting it, so you probably haven't seen the new stuff if you haven't played with it. Um, yeah, self-hosted. It's free. Runs on Docker or in Docker. Uh, those are my picks. Uh, and my pick will be uh, Habitat from Chef. This probably should have been news, uh, but Chef released a new, uh, we'll call it a hybrid application deployment and uh, container runtime thing. Um, if you're familiar with HashiCorp's tools, it's kind of like a mix between Auto and Nomad. Uh, but essentially the dream is you have this you have Habitat, maybe like a file in your in your repo that describes how to deploy your application, and then you can use Habitat to deploy it to different infrastructures without thinking about how it's being deployed. Um, so that's cool. I super excited to see if this gets traction and how people use it. I got a second pick. Let me find the Amazon link while I talk about it. Uh, it is a bounce house. <laughs> If you have uh, kids aged probably one to, I don't know, 12, uh, this is a great thing to just let them play in. And they, uh, our daughter, we got this for the barbecue. We've won it one before. Uh, it's only $250. I've seen quotes of people trying to rent bounce houses, uh, bounce houses, excuse me, for $300 for a day. And this is 250 and you get to keep it, use it whenever you want. So you're uh, saying you're telling me that you have a bounce house for whenever? Yes, we have a bounce house. That's there, pretty great. There is a weight limit. Oh no! I was going to ask about thirty-eight-year-old child. Yeah, it's it's a <laughs> it's a hundred pounds times three is the limit. So I don't know if one adult oh. in the one hundred fifty to two hundred pound range could actually jump in it 
um, but I have I have laid down in it while while our daughter was jumping, and it, it seemed fine. Uh, I weigh less than 150. I'm a little okay, 100 to 200. Also, uh, most people probably don't have enough space to store a bounce house. Like you have it, well, it's it's cl- it collapses. It deflates. Yeah, it, it, it's like a, an air mattress deflated. That small? Yeah. How big is this bounce house? Uh, in internally, I believe it's seven by seven. Externally, it says 12 feet by eight feet by six feet. No, it can't be right. Oh yeah, twelve by eight is the uh, okay. Footprint is twelve by eight because there's a little slide on it, and then in, inside of it, it's like seven by seven. It's definitely big enough for three children to bounce around in. But the one we got on Amazon was called a Cloud Nine Mighty Bounce House. It has a uh, four and a half stars and eighty four reviews. I'm sorry, four point seven stars. So show notes are at Turing Cool. Follow us on Twitter at Turing Cool, and I'll talk to you all later. See you. See ya. Bye.